please stand uh, for the reading of God's word. Got to get my place here. From Psalm 34, verses 1 through 9. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The word of the Lord. Bringing the word to us today is Steve Kamer. He is a col- the, the, not a, the college ministry director at Village 7 Presbyterian Church and is working his way towards ordination within the Presbyterian Church in America. He served with crew for over 15 years, including a four-year term doing cross-cultural ministry in Spain. He and his wife, Kendra, have three awesome sons, and we're thankful to have him up with us this morning. Uh, let's pray now as we welcome him uh, to bring the word to us. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, Lord, and eyes to see, and motivation to be not only hearers, but also doers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Luke. Thanks for that introduction. It is good to be with everyone this morning. Um, It is good to be with you, grace and peace, even if it's through a camera here and a lens here at your house, maybe in your kitchen or living room. It's the kitchen here. But uh, as always, it's good to be with grace and peace. It's good to see everyone. It's good to be in the Browns home. You know, uh, we live almost just right across the street, so I just walked over here today. It's beautiful outside, and it is a good day to worship the Lord. You know, we're going to be looking at Psalm 34 this morning, and I've retooled this, but on January 5th of 2020, I preached Psalm 34 over at Village 7 Presbyterian Church, and this psalm is about a psalm where David is praising the Lord because he's been delivered from from his fear, something that he was afraid of. And I I asked them, as I will you in a few minutes, what are you afraid of? What fears are you carrying into 2020? And we had no idea what was just around the corner for 2020. We had no idea that there would be a worldwide pandemic that would bring complete sort of destruction and disruption into all of our lives. We didn't know what was coming. We didn't know that the internet was going to blow up with memes of how bad 2020 is. I saw one the other day with little baby Yoda, and it said, I've tried my 90-day trial of 2020, and now I want my refund. Where can I go (laughs) to get my money back? We didn't know that schools were going to be canceled. We didn't know that we were going to go into quarantine. We didn't know that we would be doing church like this. That, we would, that our churches would be empty and we'd be doing it through recording and live stream. The, the world was going to change completely. And we know that as we walk through Psalm 34, we're going to see God show us some of the things that we can do with our fears this morning. 
You know, back, I think in November or December, back in the end of 2019, I had the opportunity to go up to Denver and visit the RUF staff training in a hotel outside of Boulder, actually. And I had actually been in that hotel before for similar staff trainings with crew, but I was there with RUF, that's Reformed University Fellowship, which is the college ministry wing of our denomination, and they were doing their staff training. And I was up there to meet some people, but at one point, I had an opportunity to go and sit in the back of one of the sessions. And as I went into the session, I found out that it was a session where they were discussing, and actually it was coming a little bit of a debate on what kind of music they should play in their weekly meetings. And I had been in that room before and, and heard you know, similar teaching, but I'd never heard a session like that. I kind of texted my wife and I was like, you know, I've never been in a meeting like this one. And it was kind of funny that they were debating this, but in actuality, there's a good reason why it's important. It's that in the Reformed tradition, we believe that worship is formative. We believe that what is going on right now as you're at home and, and singing songs and everything, as we come together when life is normal and you're, you're in the warehouse, that worshiping God is formative. That the songs you sing, the prayers you pray, the giving you give, the word you hear preached actually forms you while you're there. You grow closer to God. You experience God. You're forgiven of your sins and you change. You're actually formed during worship. And I can't think of a better way this morning than to let the word of God form us as we walk through Psalm 34. Psalm 34, as Luke just read, starts out with David praising God. He says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. It starts out just in this incredible proclamation of how he praises the Lord at all times. And then David invites us to join him as he says, let us exalt his name together. Now, right away, uh, when we get into verses like this, where they have superlatives, like I praise the Lord at all times, often a problem can come up really quickly uh, because I have to ask myself, if I look at my life, and I ask you as well, if you look at your life, are you blessing the Lord at all times? Is praise for the Lord continually on your lips? And I know if I'm honest with myself, if you're honest with yourself, the answer is probably no. That's not something that's continually coming out of my mouth. And it's not that David was perfect. It's not that he never sinned and he always lived in this perfect state of praise. We know that to be true from knowing the rest of the story. But the idea is as, as he's writing this and thinking about what God had done in his life, praise continually characterize his life. And that's the goal here. Praise continually characterizing your life. And is that true of you? Do you see praise continually characterizing your life? Here in this psalm, you know, David is, is deeply scared of something. He has fears and he sees God deliver him. You know, fear can be a very powerful emotion. You know, many psychologists, authors, scientists, 
believe that fear, it can be sort of that base emotion under which all negative emotions come. And fear unresolved can literally rob us of joy. If you're carrying around a lot of fears in your life and they're unresolved, you will not find that praise continually characterizes your life. Fear can be a very powerful emotion. And I asked you even this morning, as I said I would, what are some of the things you're afraid of? What are some of the fears that you're carrying around? Obviously, we have this whole set of, of a new world of the pandemic that we're facing. What are some of the things that you find yourself afraid of during this time? Maybe it's afraid for your job that you'll lose your job or have one. Maybe it's uh, being afraid for your kids as they're not in school or maybe your marriage. Marriages have been tough during this pandemic. Raising children has been tough during this pandemic. Maybe you're worried about your health. Maybe you're worried about the economy and how will we recover from this? How will we get back to life as normal? But let's be honest, you know, life wasn't like pain-free and fear-free before this pandemic happened. We've been carrying around fears and trials all the time. What are some of the fears that you just tend to carry around? Maybe you're out there this morning and it's like, you know, before life Life was fine. I wasn't super interested in spiritual things, but you know, I had my job that I could go to and I could have my money and I could hang out with my friends and do the things that I like to do. And, and you see that sort of dissolving right now. And you're like, I don't know, this, this is hard. I'm scared that things might not be returning to what I thought was a comfortable life. And you're asking this morning, you know, does God have any answers for this? Maybe just in general, you're scared in, in your work life or you're, you're lonely as Luke prayed about and you're scared that maybe there's a relationship that you want that you might not ever have. Or maybe it's a relationship you have that you fear is going badly. You know, maybe you're afraid that you just, God won't meet your needs, that you won't make it in life. You know, um, the one that we hear about all the time is being afraid of what people think of you. You know, for a long time I heard about that and I was like, I don't need to be scared of what people think of me. People like me, I don't need to worry about it. But over time, honestly, that one has crept in and it's easy to be scared of what people think of you. What are some of the things that kind of wake you up in the middle of the night and you're scared of? Uh, maybe it's failure. I know sometimes I wake up and it's like, what if I don't pull off the things that I'm trying to pull off? What if I fail at all the, the things I'm trying to accomplish and I look like a failure before other people. And maybe it isn't fear. What is it in your life? Maybe it's sin. What is it in your life that's keeping you from praising God continually, that that would be said of you as something that characterizes your life? Well, in Psalm 34, it's going to show us at least, there's probably more, but at least three things that we can do with our fears. We can take our fears to a God who delivers. We can take our fears to a God who is to be feared. And we can take our fears to a God who is good. The first is we can take our fears to a God who delivers. You know, at the very beginning, this part didn't get read, but it's kind of the preamble of Psalm 34. This was actually part of scripture. It says this, Psalm 34, Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. So David had much to be afraid of 
during this time when he's reflecting on this psalm. You can read about this in 1 Samuel 21, verses 10 through 15. But this is the story of Saul and David at the beginning of the time of kings for, this, for the people of Israel. Saul was the first king. Saul was king, but actually due to his own unresolved fears and disobedience, he had lost the anointing as king and it had been given to David. But Saul was going to be king until he died, but he knew that he'd lost this anointing and he was jealous of David and he wanted to kill him. So David was on the run for his life. And first he, in the story, he goes to the priests of Nob and he runs to them to try to find refuge. And he says, I'm on a, I'm on a message, on a trip with a message from the king, which wasn't true, but he gets there so he'd be safe for a little while. And while he's there, he says, you know, I left in a hurry and I, I didn't take any sword with me or any weapon. Do you have anything that I can have to protect myself? And they said, well, the only thing we have is the sword that you used to kill Goliath. Now, if you remember the story of David and Goliath, David had, of course, used the stones to bury and to hit uh, Goliath, and he fell, but then he took his sword, and he finished it off by cutting off his head, and they had that sword there, and so David's like, yeah, I'll take it, and, and then what he does next, scripture doesn't tell us why he did it. Common sense and, and commentators say that it was kind of silly, it wasn't the best move, but he goes to the city of Gath, and it turns out the city of Gath was going to be a very dangerous place for David. And uh, why? Well, the city of Gath was a Philistine city. And the Philistines at the time were the sworn enemies of the people of Israel. What's more, the city of Gath was the hometown, the birthplace of the Philistine hero, Goliath. So here he goes marching into the, the sworn enemy city, having killed their hero, Goliath. And what is he carrying on his hip? The sword he used to cut his head off, right? So right away, the, the servants of the king take David to him and they say, um, this is in 1 Samuel 21, isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. When David heard this, he was very much afraid. He was terrified that they were going to kill him. And so he decides, he comes up with this plan to act like a crazy person. And maybe if they think I'm crazy, they won't kill me. So he goes down to the city gates and he starts writing insane things on the gates. And scripture says that he let saliva drip down his beard and he looked like a crazy person. And the king comes and he said, don't I have enough crazy people around me? I don't need one more. I don't need to worry about David. And he lets him go. He lets him go. Um, where uh, he was delivered. And as David is thinking about this, he had intense fear that he would be killed, and it resulted in intense praise to God. Where have you been delivered in your life? It's talking physically here, of course, but if you're here and, and you're not one and a half seconds old and you're watching this, you have been delivered countless times by God from death or illness or calamity, and you might not even know it, but maybe you do. What places in your life have you been delivered in it? And it brings you praise. But God as deliverer is, is much bigger than just deliver from physical things because God in Christ has delivered us from the things we most needed to be delivered from, sin, death, and eternity without God. The things that we most needed to be delivered from we have. 
Colossians 1.13 says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have been delivered from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. And everything that we needed to be true of us is true of us in that kingdom, that we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, that we are loved, that we have been made new creations, that we've been given a new heart, a heart of flesh, a heart that is good, that the spirit indwells us, that we're beloved, that we are the bride of Christ. All of that was not true over in this domain of darkness and we desperately needed it to be true, but it is true in the domain of his son. Over here, it's true where it said of us, I will never leave you or forsake you. Can you imagine as you take these fears, I, I hope you've had some time to think about some of the things you tend to be afraid of. And as you take these fears and you place it up against what's true of us in the domain of his beloved son, do your fears not begin to come down a little bit, honestly, as this psalm forms us? Do you not see praise wanting to come up from you? Secondly, we take our fears to a God who is to be feared. The fear of the Lord plays prominently in our passage this morning. It's in verses, it's said three times in verses 7, 9, and 11. I'll read these real quick. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. And verse 11. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord not only plays prominently in this passage, it plays prominently in all of scripture. And we're gonna have to take a moment to see what does it mean to fear the Lord? And maybe even more importantly, what does it not mean to fear the Lord? Because often we think it means that we need to be afraid of God. And I just finished talking about uh, that God is deliverer. And not only did he deliver us from the things we most needed to be delivered from, he delivered us from the things we most needed to be afraid of. We needed to be afraid of death. We needed to be afraid of eternity without him. We needed to be afraid of God's punishment and wrath for our sin. But in Christ, Jesus on the cross, he took all of that punishment. He took all of that wrath. And this is really good news, but it, if you are in Christ, if you have actually placed your faith in him, it is impossible, it is impossible that God would ever punish you for any of your sins, even the worst ones you can imagine. The flip side is true. If, if you're not in Christ, there is reason to be afraid. And it's why we preach the gospel to you. It's why the offer of this joy is available to you. But if you are in Christ, I would go so far as to say it is inappropriate for you to be afraid of God. Sure, discipline might come into our lives. God does discipline us. There can be consequences for our sin. There certainly can be pain that comes into our lives. But we know that anything that God brings into our lives, like discipline, is for our good. It's to grow us. It's because he has zealous care for our lives, that we would be sanctified, that we would grow in him. Hebrews tells us that his discipline 
is because we are his children. When he disciplines us, we know that we are his children. So we're not to be afraid of God. That's not what fear of the God me- what fear of God means. So what does it mean? One of the most typical definitions of it is reverential awe. I like that one. Just we're, we're to see him in reverence and be in awe of God. You know, many have taken to try to define this. There's lots of great definitions out there. One of my favorites comes from uh, a pastor in New York City, Tim Keller. He says this of fear of the Lord. Fear in the Bible means to be overwhelmed, to be controlled by something. To fear the Lord is to be overwhelmed with wonder before the greatness of God and his love. It means that because of his bright holiness and magnificent love, you find him fearfully beautiful. That is why the more we experience God's grace and forgiveness, the more we experience a trembling awe and wonder before the greatness of all that he is and all that he's done for us. Fearing him means bowing down before him out of amazement at his glory and beauty. I like that one a lot. If I was to simplify it a little bit, I think what it means to fear the Lord is it's basically the Bible stock phrase for taking into account all who God is, his character, his holiness, his sacrificial, steadfast, unfailing love, and all that he has done for us. Taking into account all of that and putting it at the number one place in your life. Making him most important because of who he is and what he's done for you and living out those implications. I love the idea of saying it's taking into account everything that God has done and just letting it blow you away. And that's why words like wonderful and beautiful come into these definitions because the only things that we ever put at the very top of our life are the things that we think are actually beautiful, are actually wonderful, are amazing, are awesome. And it it doesn't have to be God. It can be things that we think are the most amazing, but it's only God who is to be feared. It's only him who can truly be wonderful, who can truly be the ultimate beauty. And those are the things that we put at the number one spot of our life. That's what it means to be, to fear the Lord. And I think that can be a struggle for people. It can be hard to remove any sense of being afraid of God from, from, from Christianity. And, and why is that? I think it's honestly because in our flesh, in our old man, who theologically is dead but still hangs on, we want to be afraid of God because we, we want our relationship with God to be a works-based relationship with God. If we do X, Y, and Z, if we obey him, if we do enough, God will bless us. God will love us more. God will let us spend eternity with him because that puts us in the driver's seat. That puts us in control. But the opposite has to be true as well because if we don't do enough, then the opposite of blessing has to come in. That bad things will come into our lives. Or if those out there around us who aren't doing as much as we are, aren't doing it, then blessing or curses will come into their life as well. Calamity will come. And so honestly, we, if we want to have that works-based salvation, which our fear wants or our flesh wants, then we're going to have to have a sense of being afraid of God. But that's not the way Christianity works at all. Or some might think if we're not afraid of God, we will be too cavalier as we come to God, or we won't respect him enough. And I would say that if you fully understand up here what I talked about, if God is that awesome, if you fully understand how wonderful he is, how holy he is, how 
how he has given you everything and made you his own, there is no way you could possibly be cavalier in your relationship with God. There is no way you will come to him and not give him the respect he deserves. And again, I ask as, as you take everything I'm saying and, and how awesome God is and how we are, are to be at awe and wonder of him, and you put that up against your fears, do you not continue to see some of these fears lose their control over your life and begin to rob you of joy and that praise would be coming up? I kind of hope that you just want me to stop and have the band come up and we begin to praise even more. But lastly, and I've saved the best for last, maybe subjectively so, is that we take our fears to a God who is good. We take our fears to a God who is good. Um, this, this verse culminates, this chapter culminates with verse eight, where it says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, it's not good, it's not good enough for God that you would just know that he's good or that you would just believe that he is good. He wants you to actually experience his goodness because he knows that just knowing it intellectually will not lead you to a life that's characterized by continual praise. He wants you to experience that he is good just like you would taste or see something, just like taste or sight. Think with me for a minute, get in your head, what's your favorite meal? What's your favorite food? You know, for me, uh, it's during special occasions when I'm out camping with the family or at our cabin, I buy this big old like Angus awesome steak and I get out the big cast iron skillet and I put a bunch of butter and spices in there and I grill to perfection in the cast iron, the steak. And the family loves it and we serve it with pesto pasta because my kids love that and mashed potatoes and every single time be with me thinking of your favorite meal when i cut into that first bite and i put it in my mouth it's kind of like ah oh. <laughs> and i kind of sink back into my chair and the euphoria of how good that taste washes over me god wants you to experience his goodness like that only infinitely more so or maybe it's a beautiful song or uh, a beautiful piece of art or or the mountains that are, or a landscape that you love as you come out in the morning and, and see Pike's Peak. You experience that goodness. God wants you to experience his goodness just like that. And how do we do it? How do we experience his goodness? Well, experiencing God's goodness is an act of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does that in your life. So for one, you can pray. You can pray that you would experience God's goodness. Also, the spiritual disciplines, the spiritual disciplines, the means of grace are those things by which the Holy Spirit allows us to experience that God is good. Being in worship, being here now, just like you are out on your screens or when things go back to normal, you know, having your butt in the seats. Because remember, I said that worship is formative. Worship forms us. And through worship, the Holy Spirit lets us experience that God is good. I can't tell you how many times I've been at church and I've been, been sitting there and involved in the worship and I'm not experiencing the goodness of God. I'm, I'm stressed out. I'm fearful. I'm worried about something. Or maybe it's when I'm in the word during my quiet time, but, I, but, I, but I'm sitting there and the Holy Spirit uses it to form me. And I begin to see my sin, see where I've put those things too high. And I, I begin to experience that God is good. Like I said, the rest of the spiritual disciplines, being in the word, that's a huge way 
especially now, even during this time of fear and unrest, being in the Word is a way that the Holy Spirit will allow you to experience God's goodness. Prayer, fellowship, all of the spiritual disciplines. You can share it. That's another way that God can do it. You know, a lot of people are scared right now. The gospel needs to go forward as much as ever because so many people are out there seeing Christianity sort of as as I have uh, explained it, that it's work-based or maybe they're seeing it like I did for 18 years of my life that, yeah, I believe that Jesus died for me. And I was like, yeah, Jesus died for me so that if I'm good enough, I'll get into heaven. It's like he unlocked the door and if I'm good enough, I can get there. Or, or many others are out there, and, and you might be thinking of it this way as well. Like, you know, God's probably out there, and, and Christians say that God is good. And so, you know, if he grades on a curve, which if he's good, he will, and my good outweighs my bad, I'll, I'll be in. But that's not Christianity at all. That's sort of weird relationship with God, which isn't really a relationship, but that won't lead you to praise. That won't lead you to the joy that you were meant to experience because we're meant to experience that God is good. You know, I don't ever, I don't know if uh, you've ever been given, I don't have time to tell a story about this, but I don't know if you've ever been given a gift so awesome or someone has done something for you so big that you just were kind of like, that's too much. That's too much. Uh, I can't accept it. This is too big. You've gone too far. I think that's a small example of what it means to experience that God is good. If we really saw everything that he has done for us, I think we'd say that. This is too much. I don't deserve it. But you know, eternity is promised to us. The kingdom is promised to us. And when we stand before God in the kingdom, and we will fully know and experience his goodness, I don't think we'll say anymore, that's too much. I think we'll simply fall down and worship and taste and see that God is good. And this is all possible. Honestly, it all boils down, as always, to Jesus. Without Jesus, this would not be possible. On the cross, several of the Gospels tell the story. Jesus cries out in agony. And those who are watching, they either take a sponge or hyssop and they soak it in, in sour wine, and they hold it up to him to drink. Sour wine, this would have been the, the, the worst, most kind of lowest level common wine that almost nobody wanted to drink. Often it's translated as vinegar. And I don't know if you've ever drinking vinegar before. I haven't. Uh, the smell is bad enough. I tried apple cider vinegar once because someone said it would be healthy, and maybe it is, but I went into that deep, dark five-minute depression after I drank it. It was awful. But like, Straight vinegar is the worst. It's bitter and it tastes awful. On the cross, Jesus tasted the bitterness of God's wrath and the punishment for sins so that we could taste and see that he is good. It's because of Jesus that he's done that. That's Understanding that is how we get to having a life characterized by praise. And I don't, I don't want to be naive here. And I also don't need or want to be harsh, but you know, as you're hearing this and you put it up against your fears and your worries and the things that keep you from praising God, my hope, my prayer is that you begin to see your fears diminish, that you begin to want to praise God more and more, but sometimes it it might not work. 
And I say this because I've sat across, count, across the table from countless people and maybe they've fallen into some sin or there's some trial in their life or they're struggling with something. And I begin to share some of these things to help them to share that God has a plan for them, that God will never leave them or forsake them. And you can see it in their eyes that it's not helping And again, I don't mean to be harsh here, but if you sit there and you're contemplating this and you're putting it up maybe against your sin or the things that you're afraid of and it's not helping, you know, the the God of the Bible, the God who we're talking about this morning, that God is not your God. He's not your God in that moment. Now, I'm not saying you're not Christian, but I'm saying that in that moment, you've put something higher than God. You've seen something as more wonderful and put it above God. And here's how this works. Let's say it's your job. Let's say you're really afraid that you might lose your job and you feel your life kind of falling apart because of it. And you've put the job at the most important place in your life. And God's here. And somebody comes in and says, man, be comforted. God loves you. You're beloved. He will never leave you or forsake you. If God is down here, it won't help you at all because the most important thing is up here. You've created an idol for yourself. And here's what's awesome about this. As you recognize it, and I've had this happen. I've had God's goodness not comfort me, and all of a sudden I realize I've put something above God, and that's why it's not comforting me. You can repent. You can come before the Lord and say, I'm sorry. It's why we do a confession of sin every single service. And I promise you, you will taste and see that God is good in the midst of even your repentance. So I pray this morning that as we look at the things we're afraid of, this is a very unsettled world right now, and it was a broken world before. There's a lot to be afraid of, but there's a lot that can keep us from praising God. And as we take those and put them up to the picture of a God who delivers, of a God who is completely awesome in all he is and what he's done, and a God who is good, that you would want to praise, that your fears would subside and you would want to say of yourself, I extol the Lord at all times and praise is continually on my lips. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are a beautiful God. I thank you so much that even when I put things above you, that you still love me because of Jesus, that you forgive me, that even in repentance, I can taste and see that you are good. I pray for all of us this morning as we battle fears, as we battle our own sin, as we battle uncertainty, that we would see you as awesome, that we would see you as beautiful, and in that, we would have peace. And we pray this in your name. Amen.